you so much, Louise, for leading us in that prayer. If you uh, have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There are red pew Bibles. Uh, if you would like to engage with us, it's uh, page 1145. And the, the one thought or the one phrase that I'd love us to take from this morning is this. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Okay, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, although we're, we're only going to look at the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what Paul says here uh, flows from and is directly connected to what he had been saying and writing about at the end of uh, chapter 1. And so the chapter break uh, is in fact a bit unfortunate. It actually interrupts the flow because uh, if you look at the opening phrase of, of the first verse of 1 Corinthians 2, it says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters. Well, so what was? Now, what that means is that we shouldn't really have stopped where we did last week. And therefore, what, uh, what I'm about to do is simply pick up from where Drew left off and just carry on speaking about exactly the same issue, which was the cross of Jesus. But let me, uh, let me backtrack for a minute and remind us why, why Paul actually homes in on this critical issue. Paul had spent 18 months in Corinth at one stage and had kind of helped establish this city church. For the last three years approximately, they had been getting on with it while he was in Ephesus. And then word filtered through to the apostle via a lady who was part of the Corinthian church called Chloe, that there was a growing problem within this city church. There was division, there was disunity, there was a lack of harmony. And two weeks ago, we, we reflected on the importance of church unity in general, but we didn't look at the specific reason behind the problem at Corinth. What was it that was actually causing the unity? And we, we didn't deal with that. We just looked at the importance of unity in general. But it turns out, or it seems, that the problem had to do with the popularity of certain leaders. The cult of celebrity may be a 20th, 21st century Western phenomenon. I can never say that word. <laughs> you know, I'm not even going to try again. But the interesting thing is that even within the church in the 21st century, I think there is a culture of celebrity. But there was more than a hint of it back in the first century and the first century Mediterranean world and church some people and you can if you have a Bible open look at that verse 12 of the first chapter they were saying some were saying I follow Paul others saying no 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 I follow Apollos others were saying no I follow Cephas or Peter and some were saying I follow Christ now that last answer might seem like the right answer the right answer is always Jesus but it was actually coming out of a wrong attitude. And therefore, that answer was nothing to get excited about. It's nothing to affirm. This ghettoizing, this I'm in his camp, not in theirs. I prefer him better than him. This was leading to the fracturing of relationships. The breakdown of true community and a complete loss of focus. And so Paul challenges this mindset. 
because it is threatening the immediate and the future life of this city church. And he calls them back to the basis of their unity, which was the cross. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. The cross and its message, it, it unites the people of God. And therefore needs to be kept in sharp focus. Needs to be at the nucleus and at the hub of corporate church life and practice. It's one of the reasons why, and I know I say this a lot, but it's one of the reasons why I love the fact that whenever Windsor Baptist Church gathers on a Sunday, we eat bread and we drink wine at one of our services every week. And today it will happen at 7 p.m. this evening. Why do I love that? Because it keeps every single week pointing us to the importance and the centrality of the cross, which is a place of reconciliation, a place of reconnection between us and between us and God, but also between us and one another. Vertical, horizontal reconciliation. At Corinth, their focus had shifted, and so factions were emerging. But as Paul calls this city church back to the basis of their unity, back to the cross, he realizes that the message of the cross, what it actually communicates, creates a problem in their context. Given the, the culture that they live in, this message jars. It's a stumbling block, as Drew reminded us last week, for some people. It's an obstacle. It's a barrier to believing. For others, it's just foolish. It's moronic. It's nonsense. And 2,000 years later, those reactions and responses to the cross and the message of the cross are still alive and well. And therefore, although the cross is the basis of Christian unity, it also carries a wider divisive dimension it divides those who are being saved from those who are perishing God's words reasonably explicit on that it's even here the beginning of this letter the message of the cross has this divisive dimension between those who are being saved and those who are perishing and that that should be I hope it is for us a sobering reality so it's why we preach the cross. It's why we share it. It's why we explain it. Because it's the wisdom of God. That, that's what Paul says here. It's the wisdom of God. In other words, it's only via the message of the cross that you can actually truly know God. But Christ crucified, this wisdom of God, Paul says, is three things to those who are being saved. Look at verse 30 of chapter 1. Three things. It's our righteousness, our holiness, and it's our redemption. Our righteousness, we're made right with God via the cross. Jesus has taken the hit for our sin. It's our holiness. We have been given a brand new identity via the cross. If you were here the first week of this series, if this is who you are, you are a saint. That is your identity now because of the cross. You're a saint. You may not feel like that. You may never want to describe yourself as that, but that is actually who you are. You are a holy one. You're set apart. You're distinctively different. You are a saint. Our redemption, we're set free 
via the cross. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're liberated, forgiven people because of a crucified Christ. And therefore, as verse 31 says, it's all about Jesus. And the message of the cross, and so nobody can claim to be a cut above anybody else on the basis of their wisdom or their power or their background or their upbringing or their intellect. There is no place here for pride. There's no place for self. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the message of the cross. And so what does Paul say? Let no one boast in anything else. If you're going to brag and boast and shout about anything, shout about what God has done. Don't shout about who's better than anybody else. I follow this and I follow that one. I'm into him and I'm into this. Just boast about what God has done in Jesus. And as we continue with the flow at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul says, and so it was with me, that this is what I'm into. Just want to boast about what God has done in Jesus. And this is what I did four and a half years ago when I showed up in Corinth. And in fact, I've now got more to say. I've got more to say about that, and I've got more to say about me. And so let's read what he goes on to share. And I realize that's a really long introduction, and I've gone right back over lots of stuff we've, uh, we've been already thinking of, but I felt I needed to set the scene for what comes next. So let's stand for the public reading of God's word. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, so I did not come with eloquence, or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's Par, grab a seat. How do you uh, how do you measure, gauge, or judge a good or decent sermon? What do you think of this one so far? And everybody says, Robbie. <laughs> Preferred the speaker last week. Uh, what? I did anyway. What determines? What is it that determines effective and helpful preaching? What's the basis of your critique? In these verses, Paul doesn't just talk about the content of the gospel. He also deals in part with his own communication of it. He reminds this city church not only of what he shared, which is crucial, but how he shared it. And that's fascinating. Paul was clear in why he had been sent to Corinth. Look at verse 17 of chapter 1 again for me. For Christ did not send me to baptize. You see it again back to the I follow this one and I follow that one people were also saying hey do you know something I was baptized by Paul and so people were even you know marking their cards because of the fact that they've been baptized by certain people and so Paul says here listen I didn't come was not sent to, to baptize but to preach the gospel but then listen to how not with wisdom or eloquence lest the cross be emptied of its power and here at the beginning of chapter 2, he says something similar. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. You see, it's clear Paul isn't out to impress or compete. He isn't about gaining any sort of reputation as a, 
as a brilliant or a dynamic speaker. See, within that world, within that context, within that city, public speaking and, and, and speech making were a big deal. If you could communicate clearly, cleverly, creatively, then you were highly regarded and esteemed. There were regular speaking competitions. In fact, public speaking was one of the events at the annual equivalent of the Olympic Games. So the temptation or the pressure to be impressive, to be slick, to be silver-tongued was very real. Now, it's not that Paul wasn't articulate or he wasn't smart or he wasn't able. I mean, just read the rest of this letter. Never mind any of the rest of his letters. And you realize that Paul's ability to communicate and challenge and stretch people's thinking using words and phrases is obvious. But when he preached, he simply wanted to share and communicate the gospel simply. And so at best, Paul must have been, or he must have come across as a pretty ordinary speaker. And if you're in any doubt about that, just, just listen to what some of the people in Corinth said about him. His letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he's unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. That must have encouraged and blessed him. Although, given what he says here at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, maybe it actually did bless him. When people said, you know, pretty unimpressive and speaking amounts to nothing. Paul was crystal clear in what he had to do. And why he had been sent to Corinth in the first place, it was to preach the gospel. But he was also very aware of how he had to do it and why that mattered. Because there it is, and, and here's, here's the real danger, and this is a frightening thought. See, there's a real danger that we can disempower the gospel. It really is. You can, I can, anyone can say all the right things. Sound, really sound doctrinally orthodox and yet how we said can rip the heart out of it and as one writer comments even if the doctrine preached is true a presentation that showcases the presenter to make him sparkle empties out the true power do you know christians at corinth were at risk of valuing style over substance they were becoming far too influenced by their culture, which placed this massive emphasis on polished rhetoric and clever speech. And as a result, they were splitting into factions, each with their own favorite speaker, favorite preacher, favorite leader. And as a result, they'd lost sight of the focal point of the gospel. They'd lost sight of the cross, the basis of their unity. And if they weren't careful, they were not only gonna wreck this city church, but they were actually going to distort the message of the cross. Worse still, not just distort it, they were going to rob it of its incredible power. And so Paul refers them back to when he first came to Corinth and he reminds them how he proclaimed the testimony about God, how in the words of the New Living Translation, he didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell them God's secret plan. And at the end of the day, it was his and this rather ordinary, straightforward presentation of the gospel that they responded to. And so it was really important that they didn't get taken in by this need to impress or this need to be impressed. 
Because you see, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And as I was reflecting on this during the week, because at the end of the day, one of the central reasons for us doing this series is to make the connections. It's to see what we can learn about being a city or a church in the city from this city church. And if we take nothing else away from this morning, I hope and pray we will renew our commitment and intention to keep it simple. Do not get distracted by the temptation to glam it up and to entertain and to seek applause or to attract a following to ourselves, but that we will share and speak and proclaim the testimony of God, the mystery of God, as it says in some translations, with humility and in all integrity. It's all about Jesus. And the minute it becomes about anyone or anything else, we're going to close these doors. I'm sure you've come across the anachronism uh, KISS. It's a design principle, but I've been saying it over to myself quite a few times this week. Does anyone know what it stands for? Yeah, keep it simple, stupid. And I need to hear that. You know, every preacher or speaker runs the risk of trying to please. Trying to seek praise. Trying to become popular. And whenever that dictates or determines the content and what they say, how they say it, it's a worrying sign. Now, I'm not for one minute suggesting we shouldn't consider our context, the people we're talking to, the need to be sensitive, the need or the importance of wisdom that is you know, godly wisdom as opposed to human wisdom. Of course we should. And there's no doubt that Paul did. And I'll say a little more about that in a minute. But whenever the context and the people or our sensitivities cause us to dilute and distort the message, or whenever we become more concerned or driven by the opinions and the applause of others, then we are in a precarious place. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Paul knew how he shared the gospel was nothing to write home about. He wasn't gonna win any medals. In any competition or games wasn't the issue. And so he goes on in verse 2 to confirm what was the issue and what was it that stands at the heart of the mystery of God that we've got to keep in sharp focus. Here was the testimony about God. Here was the mystery of God that he came to Corinth to proclaim. And it was nothing more and it was nothing less than Jesus Christ and him crucified. End of. For I decided, says Paul, I resolved, this is something I determined to do. Yeah, I could try to impress. Not what I'm going to do. I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul made up his mind. This was what it was about. This is what might, it may be a stumbling block. It may seem foolish. It may seem weak. It may seem pathetic. But as far as he was concerned, Jesus Christ and him crucified is, was, and always will be the wisdom and the power of God. And so, to quote something I read and found really helpful this week, the gospel points to a bloodied mass of crucified flesh, hardly recognizable as human, and says to all, there is the healing of your wounds. There is the satisfaction of all your desires. 
There is the wisdom for every question you ask. There is the victory that will open up a new future for the whole universe. The best kept secret in the world today is that life comes out of death, joy out of sorrow, power out of surrender, greatness out of ordinariness, opportunities out of setbacks. Jesus is the paradox. Hanging from a cross and rising from a grave, Jesus proved the wisdom of God's folly and the power of God's weakness. Paul understood that. He revered that. He didn't see salvation any other way. The cross set Paul free, not to be a glittering personality in his preaching, but to be as weak as Christ himself. And just as a side note, and I don't really want to dwell on this because I do want to just finish by looking at how he did preach and communicate the gospel. But you know, there are and there have been some people who read this verse and they conclude that that's all we should preach and teach and speak about because that's clearly what Paul did. And therefore, if every sermon and every talk is not about the cross and Christ crucified, it's wrong or it's inappropriate or it's way off the mark. And yet we know that Paul spoke about, preached about and wrote about lots of other key issues. But here's the thing always through the lens of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And therefore, Jesus and his cross must be central to the preaching and the teaching of this church. I'm also aware that some people reckon, and, and some of you may, may be thinking this, I'm also aware that some people reckon that because Paul came to Corinth from Athens, were he engaged in a more philosophical debate and discussion after seeing their statue to the unknown God in Acts 17, and how on that occasion only a couple of people responded to the gospel, that somehow Paul realized that he had messed up in Athens. Because if you read what he said there, he didn't explicitly mention the cross. So some people think when Paul arrived in Corinth, after being in Athens, after doing the philosophical thing in the marketplace, and very few people responding positively, that he thought, you know something, I failed there. And so as he arrives in Corinth, he says, you know something, I've resolved to know nothing else but Jesus and him crucified. I don't think and believe that was the case at all. For Paul, Jesus and his cross were always central, but the context and those listening needed to be carefully considered. And I, I know I could say a huge amount more than that, but there may be some people here thinking or have heard that before. But back to this text. Because Paul goes on to describe how he came to share the message of Jesus. Look at this. How did he come? I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling, which, as Daniel Kirk comments, is the only appropriate demeanor of a cross-shaped ministry. It's the only appropriate demeanor of a cross-shaped ministry. Weakness, fear, trembling. Paul wasn't out to impress. Wasn't out to compete. Nothing could be further. He wasn't cocky. He wasn't confident in himself or in his presentation. His sense of personal inadequacy and total dependency was staggering. 
And therefore, verse 4, his message and his preaching, as Louise quoted at the start, they weren't with wise or persuasive words. It was very plain. It was very simple. But here's the crux of the matter. Read on. It was with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see, the Corinthian Christians hadn't come to faith because of Paul. Hadn't come to faith because of Apollos or Cephas. It wasn't just because Paul showed up in Corinth. It was because God did. God saved them. God rescued them. Paul had preached Christ crucified which is the power and wisdom of God, that's what changes and transforms life. And this church needed to remember this. It needed to get back to it. Otherwise, they were going to lose their way, lose their focus, lose their unity, lose their heart. And Windsor Baptist, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. It's all about Jesus. It's all about him crucified. And therefore, let's keep it simple. Share it with humility. And remember, it's God who saves, not any of us. Let's pray. Father, again, we we thank you for your word. And as a church in this city, I ask that you would help us to continue to listen carefully to what you are saying to us through the story of another church in another city. And God, may we be a place, a community of people, a church without walls that keeps the main thing, the main thing, that it's all about Jesus and him crucified and he needs to be at the very center of all we do and who we are. And I ask you by your Holy Spirit to enable us and ensure that we retain that sharp focus because it's in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Jesus be the center. Let's stand as we sing.